verse 17 through 24. And the word of God says, reward your servants, then I will live and I will keep your words. Uncover my eyes and I will behold wonders from your law. I am an alien on earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is overwhelmed by desire for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed, those who stray from your commandments. Remove scorn and contempt from me, for I guard your testimonies. Though officials sit together and speak against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Yes, your testimonies are my delights. They are my advisors. So when you read Psalm 119, you see every, every uh, section of it has something about the Word of God, God's commands, all these different things. If we uh, read the Word of God, obey the Word of God, listen to the Word of God, then we'll have the things that God wants for us. His commandments need to become our advisors, like the psalmist tells us. So that's pretty good stuff right there. We're going to uh, sing some songs together. First, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth. Joy that's growing deep in 
come to church, we ought to be a little happy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You ought to have a good time when you come to church. You ought to know that when you leave here, you say, I have been in the presence of Almighty God. That's what this is all about, right? 
And I had an old pastor used to say when we get started in, in the service, he says, we're going to have a time. <laughs> so that's what we should be looking for when we get to church. We should be looking for a time, a good time in the Lord. Uh, I've been uh, thinking a whole lot this week about, uh, about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And I gotta read this. I gotta read this scripture here. For this is this is found in First uh, John chapter three. It says, "Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not, because it knew Him not." This is the good part. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And there's another, uh, there's another scripture that, uh, that I, like to, I like to think about sometime when you think about the coming of the Lord. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. That's one trio you don't want to miss, right? And if we're looking for the we're looking for the Lord to come, we ought to have our ear tuned to that, to hear the Lord when He comes. For the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them, and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So if you feel down and out, read those scriptures because he's coming back. And there's an old song. I know you ain't supposed to sing into this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing, sing a chorus to a song. An old song we used to sing back when I first met the Lord. There's going to be a meeting in the air in the sweets. to be a meeting in the air in that home beyond the sky such singing you will hear never heard by mortal ear it'll be glorious i do declare and god's own son will be the leading one at that meeting in the air hallelujah And you say, Brother Dave, what in the world has that got to do with communion? <laughs> Not a blessed thing. <laughs> but it sounded good, and what I read was good, right? But I was thinking, that is what we're looking for. We're looking forward to that, the blessed day. Paul wrote to, to Titus and said, that is the blessed hope, the blessed hope that we have in Jesus, that he's coming back and straighten this mess out, right? But we're looking forward to that, and what we're going to do right now is take communion, and that's what we're looking back, right? We're looking back on what Jesus did. He said on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and blessed it. He said, this is a, my body is broken for you. And then he took the wine and said, this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. As often as you do this, you drink this you eat this bread and drink this wine. You do show the Lord's death till he comes. And that's what we do. We do this every week. Sometimes it seems like it's a, just a ritual, but it's not. We need to look back and thank the Lord for what he's done for us. Because what he's done, he saved us. And when he shed his blood, he brought in a new covenant. That's what this is about. It's a new covenant with God. And the covenant that he made, it was in his blood. Our salvation is in that blood, in, in the new covenant. And the Bible says that, the atone, that healing is in the atonement. When he atoned for our sins, he also paid the price for our healing. So when you look back today, when you take this, just look back and see what Jesus did for his church, for his people. And we thank you for it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity 
to be wor- to, to worship you today, Lord God, in this place. And we ask you, oh God, to show up big in this little service. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said. Now is the time in the service for announcements. In the foyer underneath the TV, you will see um, two bins that we are using to collect um, empty pill bottles for Matthew 25 donations. Also used ink cartridges um, to reduce office supply costs. Every Tuesday, I'm sorry, every Thursday from 5 to 7 and the first Saturday of the month from 10 until noon, we have the food pantry and closed closet. So that offers a way for the community um, or church members to come in if they have needs or if they want to um, help serve in some way. Women's Bible study um, has been on their way for a couple weeks now. Empty nesters studying a specific book um, called Book of Galatians um, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's house. Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30, we have a free ladies' dance fitness class called ReFit. If you have any questions, you can contact Kristen. Heartland Kids, um, we are still looking for volunteers for the nursery and children's church downstairs. Um, It takes place on Sundays while we're up here um, during service on Sundays. So if you have any questions, um, myself or Michelle, um, who is downstairs now with the kids, can answer those questions Um, There is a sign-up back on the welcome table. Cinnamon roll and stroll. So we are going to have more than cinnamon rolls, but Saturday, April 9th at 10 a.m., we're going to meet here at Heartland. Um, This is going to be a ladies' kind of like a breakfast or brunch, and then we're going to take a hike over at probably at either the Cincinnati Nature Center um, or somewhere here local. So if you're interested in signing up and you're a lady, um, we'd love to have you. I'm working on something for the men. We just haven't gotten there yet. (laughs) So I'm getting the ladies together to do a, you know, 
to work on the men's thing, okay? <laughs> um, Goshen Community Easter Egg Hunt, we did this about two years ago. COVID kind of put it off um, for that amount of time. We're getting back into it now. So Saturday, April 16th at 11 at Goshen High School, um, we're going to be getting together with another church to put this on for the community. Um, we will be collecting 5,000, you got that right, 5,000 Easter eggs, pre-filled preferably, but if you want to bring the empty plastic eggs, different sizes so we can fill them with lots of goodies, um, bring small toys, stickers, candy, anything you want to bring in would be helpful. We can pack them if you want to pre-fill them, that's awesome too. For ages four to six, um, we need all donations Sunday, April 10th at the latest, especially if we have to pack them, then we'll have a packing party if we have to. Um, so yes, Easter service, plan to be here, plan to bring your friends, family, um, Sunday, April 17th, same time, we are going to have one service this year. Um, and then we will have a special Easter gift for all the kids that come. Um, and we will have children's service that day too. Tithes and offerings can be um, placed in the offering box in the back of the sanctuary. And we are still working on having online giving, but we don't have that option just yet. Thank you so much. First John chapter 1. Let's turn it together in our Bibles. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And the title of today's teaching is The Apostolic Teaching about the word of life. In 1 John 1, 1 through 4, the scriptures say, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have observed and our hands have touched regarding the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it. We testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We are proclaiming what we have seen and heard also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write these things to you so that our joy may be complete. How important is it that we understand and hold to the apostolic teaching about who Jesus is? No, we live in a time where the importance of doctrine is downplayed, where holding to dogmas is called divisive, but John the Apostle, who authored this letter, John did not share our disdain for doctrine. See, John knew it's only when we rightly understand who the real Jesus is that we can have right relationship with God. So today we're going to look at two truths that John teaches us about the word of life, and then we'll see how that applies to our lives. Let's pray. Lord, as we study the truth about your son, we pray that you give us understanding. Give us understanding so that we may know the true one and that we can be in the true one. And through a true knowledge of him, have a true knowledge of you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to notice in the first four verses of his letter, John uses the word we at least seven times. He talks about that which we have heard, that which we have seen and observed with our eyes, that which we have touched with our hands. He says, we testify, we proclaim, and we write. Now, the we here is John's way of talking about the original apostles, this group of men whom the Lord Jesus handpicked to be unique witnesses of his life, his death, and his resurrection. In Acts 1.8, the risen Jesus says to these men, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this passage is not talking about every believer being a witness of Jesus, though we ministers often misuse it that way to guilt God's people into evangelism, right? That Jesus said, you'll be a witness in this, that we use this to guilt people into evangelism. But Jesus is talking specifically about this group of special eyewitnesses, men who were among the group Peter talks about in Acts 1, 21 and 22. Peter says, it is necessary that one of the men who accompanied us during the entire time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from his baptism, from his baptism by John until the day Jesus was taken up from us, it is necessary that one of these men become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, the us are the original apostles who had been with Jesus throughout his entire ministry. That's something nobody here can claim, right? We can't claim we were with the apostles or with Jesus throughout this entire ministry. 
To the apostles were eyewitnesses of his life, his miracles, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And they received his teachings to hand down to the church. The apostle John, who wrote the letter we know as 1 John, is one of those witnesses. So when John says we, well, he's writing on behalf of his fellow apostles. Those Jesus chose to be his witnesses and carry his teachings to the ends of the earth. Now, the year is between 90 and 95 A.D. All the other apostles have already gone on to meet the Lord. And what Paul predicted 30 years earlier when he spoke to the elders of the church in Ephesus has now come to pass. In Acts 20, 29 to 30, Paul said this, I know that after my departure, savage wolves who will not spare the flock will come in among you. Even from your own group, men will rise up, twisting the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Remember, Paul's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. From among your own group, people are going to rise up and twist the truth about Jesus. The false teachers had risen up from among the elders in Ephesus and were twisting the truth about who Jesus is. So John, who was in Ephesus at the time, writes this letter to the churches in and around Ephesus. Now, his purpose is to remind the churches of the apostolic truth that they've been taught, what they've been taught about the person that John calls the word of life. The first truth John teaches about the word of life is the word of life is truly God. In John 1.1, John says, the word of life is that which was from the beginning. And here John is emphasizing the deity of the word of life. But John's not saying that the word of life had a beginning. He's saying before anything else began, well, the word of life was already there. And John makes this even more clear in his gospel. In John 1, 1 through 3, John writes, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him everything was made, and without him not one thing was made that has been made. So here John explicitly says that the word, the word of life, is God. And the word of life is the creator through whom everything else was made. So when John says the word of life is that which was from the beginning, what he means is before anything existed, the word of life was already there because the word of life is God. Now, notice in John 1, 2, John not only says the word, the word was God, John also says he was with God in the beginning. And these words, they confuse a lot of people. Is John saying that the word was God and the word was with himself in the beginning? Well, if John's saying that, he's one of the worst communicators in the history of the world, right? That's what he's trying to say. That's not, what, that's not the way you would say that. But that's not what John is trying to say. What John's saying is the same thing he says in 1 John 1, 2. The life appeared, and we have seen it. We testify, testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So John says the eternal life was with the Father. And this eternal life is something he and the apostles have seen. It appeared or was made visible to them. So John saying eternal life is a person, and this person was with the Father in the beginning. Who is this person? It's the word of life, right? Jesus. And as we continue to read John's letter, we find out that this person is the Son of God. As John says in 1 John 1.3, we are proclaiming what we have seen so that you may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And in 1 John 4, 9, John says, God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we may live through Him. So the, the apostles had seen the word of life, the eternal life, the only begotten Son of God. This one who, has, who was with the Father in the beginning and was sent by God to give life to the world. So when John says the word was with God, he means the word was with God the Father. In other words, John's talking about two distinct persons. The word who is the Son of God was with God the Father. And both the word and the Father are divine. 
Now, it's important that we understand this. This person that John calls the word of life was already God's son before the father sent him into the world. He always existed as God's son. In other words, God the father has always been the father. The word of life has always been the son. This is how the word of life is God. He's God because he's begotten or born from God the Father. So he's divine by nature. And God the Father has only one son who is born from him in this way. One son who is uniquely and eternally born from God the Father. He is God from God. From God. He's light from light. He's true God from true God. He's of one divine nature with the Father. Now, nobody can fully comprehend or understand this, but this is what the Son of God revealed to the apostles. And this is what the apostles of the Lord Jesus have revealed to the church. This is what God's Word teaches about Jesus. Jesus is the Word of life, the eternal life, the only born Son of God who was with the Father in the beginning. Before anything else existed, there was God the Father with the Word of life, the eternal life, His only born divine son. And I labored that point because it's important that we understand it, right? So right from the start of his letter, John emphasizes the deity of the word of life. The word of life is truly God. But just as important as his deity is a second truth John teaches about the word of life. The word of life is truly human. As John continues in 1 John 1, 1, he says, the word of life is that which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have observed and our hands have touched. Now, this seems like a strange way to describe someone. Why does John need to say that the apostles heard the word of life and that they not only saw the word of life with their eyes, but they carefully observed him? Seems a little bit redundant. Why does John need to say that they touched him with their hands? Well, everything John writes here is to combat the false teaching of a group of false teachers who came to be known as the Docetists. Docetists got their name from a Greek word that means to seem. And they were called Docetists because they taught that Jesus only seemed to be truly human. So basically everything Jesus did as a human was only an act. He only seemed to be born. He only seemed to grow. He only seemed to get hungry or thirsty or tired. And he only seemed to suffer, to die, and to rise from the grave. In the docetist mind, none of that really happened. And for them, Jesus' physical body was merely an illusion or some kind of holy hologram. The docetists believed all matter, anything physical, was evil. So they taught that God could never become truly human without corrupting himself. Now, they overemphasized the true deity of Jesus and denied the true humanity. Of Jesus. So this is why John is so specific in John 1 1 about hearing and seeing and handling the word of life. He reminds the church we apostles actually saw the physical body of the word of life. We looked carefully at and observed his physical body. We touched him with our own hands. The word of life really did take on real human flesh. He was truly incarnated. John explains this further in 1 John 1, 2. He continues, the life appeared and we have seen it. We testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. See, the word of life appeared to the apostles. Other translations say the life was revealed or was manifested. He did not just seem like a human or some hologram. He was just trying to seem like it, but he truly was a human. As John says in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. So the word of life, God's divine son became real human flesh. Without diminishing his deity, the son of God took on human nature. He was not an illusion. He was not a holy hologram, a dose of this thought. The word of life is truly human. God's divine son really was born of a virgin. God's divine son really did grow in knowledge and in favor with God and man. He really did get hungry. He really got thirsty. He really got tired. And this is an important one. He really did deal with every human temptation 
just like you and I do. The difference between him and us is the Son of God did it without sin. And then the divine human Son of God really suffered, he really died, and he really rose from the grave. And the word of life with this person who has both a divine nature and a human nature, he did everything that he did to save humanity from sin and from death. So when the Son of God became fully human, he forever united human nature with his divine nature so that in him we can have true fellowship with God. And now, when we're baptized into Christ, well, we're united with the one who is fully God and fully human. And through our union with God's Son, we can now share in the divine life. As Peter puts it in 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these, he has given us his precious and great promises so that through them, listen to this, you may share in the divine nature. See, by knowing the one true God as revealed by God's son to the holy apostles, we're able to share in the divine nature. And through God's great and precious promises, we become by grace what Jesus is by nature. He's the son of God by nature. We become sons and daughters of God through grace. We are sons and daughters of God, and we are becoming like God in righteousness and true holiness as we're conformed to the image of God's son, as we, as we become like Christ. See, all of that is possible because the son of God became the son of man, because the word of life, who is fully God, is also fully human. That's the apostolic teaching about the word of life. But the docetists rejected this teaching. And listen to what John says about them in 1 John 2, 18 through 19. He says, dear children, it is the last hour. The Antichrist is coming, just as you have heard. And even now, many, many Antichrists have come. This is how you know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they, were, they really were not part of us. If they had been part of us, they would have stayed with us. Instead, they all showed that they were not part of us. Now, notice John says they went out from us. So these false teachers were at one time members of the church. Some were even elders in the church. But they became antichrist and went out from the church. But how did they become antichrist? Well, they did that by rejecting the apostolic teaching about Jesus. See, being antichrist does not mean you're totally against Christ. See, it means you hold two wrong ideas about who Christ is. You believe something about Jesus that's not in line with what the apostles taught about Jesus. See, the docetists became antichrist because they did not hold to the apostolic teaching that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. As John says in 1 John 4, 1 through 3, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit who does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is already in the world. So these one-time elders, they became false prophets because they were seduced by a spirit that was not from God. They were lured away and led astray by the spirit of Antichrist. And so they were deceived and began to teach false doctrines about who Jesus is within the church. You know, I'm sure others in the church tried to correct their false teaching. They tried to bring them back to what the apostles had handed down to the church about Jesus. But instead of allowing themselves to be corrected by the apostles' teaching, they left the church and they went out into the world. They rejected the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And by rejecting the apostolic teaching about Jesus, they became antichrist. And it's so important that we know well what the apostles taught about Jesus and hold to that teaching because the same spirit of Antichrist is still slithering around in the world 
We're all focused on the Antichrist. What we should be concerned about is the Antichrists that are all over the place, all around us, teaching false doctrine about who Jesus is, seeking to seduce us into following someone other than the Jesus that the apostles preached. Whether it's those who teach what Je- that, that Jesus is not truly God, you've heard people say this, Jesus is just a man, just a prophet, just a good teacher, that's Antichrist. Or those who teach that Jesus is not truly man, that his deity enveloped his humanity in a way that made him less than truly human. That's Antichrist. Because the Jesus, the apostles taught, is truly God and truly man. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. One person with both a divine and human nature. And both natures are equally important. Any teaching that does not affirm both of those truths about Jesus is Antichrist and should be rejected because it leads us away from the true Son of God. And this is why it's very important that we have a right understanding about Jesus. This is why doctrine and dogmas about Christ's divinity and humanity matter so much and why people have fought so much over this throughout the, the history of Christianity. Because if we don't know the Jesus revealed by the apostles, then we don't know the true Son of God. And if we don't know the true Son of God, then we cannot know the one true God. Because as John says in 1 John 5.20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. It's only by knowing the true Son of God who revealed himself to the apostles and whose apostles then revealed him to us through the church It's only by knowing the apostolic teaching about the Son of God that we can know the true God. And it's only by being in the true Son of God that we can be in the true God and have eternal life. And this is why Jesus said the words that we so often hear in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Son of God is the only way to the Father because only the Son of God united human nature with his divine nature so that through our union with him, we might know the true God and have eternal life. As Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The eternal life is found in knowing God the Father and the Son whom God the Father sent. And the word know is not just about head knowledge. That Jesus is not saying, if we know the facts about God and his Son, then we have eternal life. To know God is to have an ongoing fellowship with him and with his Son. As John says in 1 John 2 and 3, we testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us, We are proclaiming what we have seen and heard also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And our our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So the Greek word behind the word fellowship carries the idea of a close and continuous relationship with someone. So John says he and the other apostles have a close and continuous relationship with the Father and his Son. And it's through that continuous relationship that they have eternal life. John also says through what the apostles proclaim about the Son of God, we are all invited into a close and continuous relationship with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's only in that relationship that we can have eternal life. So that brings up an important question. If we can only have eternal life if we're in this close and continuous relationship with God the Father and with His Son, Well, then how can we be sure that we're in this relationship? Well, John tells us in 1 John 2, 3, he says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we are keeping his commandments. The next verse, which I didn't put on there, he says, whoever says he knows him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. So I didn't want to put that on there, but I had to say it because it's just part of it. But I want you to notice the present tense in this verse. We know that we have come to know God if we are keeping his commandments. 
so we can know we're in a close relationship, a continuous relationship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and we know that we have eternal life if we're continually obeying God's Son by keeping His commandments. And so the reverse is also true. If I'm not obeying Christ's commandments, then I can't say, well, I got eternal life. I know I got a good relationship with God. It goes both ways. John makes this same point again and connects eternal life with faith in 1 John 5, 12 to 13. He says, the one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, what does it mean to have the Son of God? Well, we, it means that we believe Jesus is the Son of God as the apostles teach. And if we truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, well, that belief will lead us to obey him. As John tells us in John 3.36, the, the one believing in the Son has eternal life, but the one disobeying the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, John uses belief and obedience interchangeably. To believe in the Son of God is to obey the Son of God. So to have the Son of God means that we have this type of faith that leads us to obey the Son of God. Only those who have the Son of God in this way will have eternal life. So how important is it that we understand and hold to the apostolic teaching about who Jesus is? What's well, a matter of life and death? That we can only have fellowship with the one true God and eternal life by having fellowship with the Jesus, the Son of God that the apostles preached. Now, make no mistake, there's tons of other Jesuses being preached all around us. People say Jesus is this. People say Jesus is that. We have to know what the true teaching about Jesus is so that we can follow the true Jesus and have fellowship with the true Jesus and have eternal life through the true Jesus. And notice another result that comes from having fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. In 1 John 1, 4, John says, We write these things to you so that our joy may be complete. So when we have fellowship with God the Father and His Son, our joy is complete or our joy is made full. And why is that? Well, because fellowship with God is what we were created for. This is what Adam and Eve lost when they sinned. They were separated from the life that they had enjoyed in a close and continuous relationship with God. This relationship with God is what the word of life restored when he became man. This relationship with God is what the word of life restored when he united his divinity to humanity so that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus made a way to reconcile us or bring us back into a right relationship with God. And in that relationship of constant fellowship with the true God, we find the fullness of joy. So if you want to have true joy, you've got to be in a right relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we close, let's remember the truth John teaches about the word of life. The word of life is fully God. The divine Son of God was there in the beginning with God the Father. He is God born from God and has the same divine nature as God the Father. The word of life is also fully human. The divine Son was sent by the Father and became flesh. And in doing that, the word of life united our fallen human nature to his divine nature to free humanity from the power of sin and death through his life, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And now we can all have fellowship with God and become like God through our union and ongoing relationship with God's Son. And in that relationship, we will find eternal life. We will find the fullness of joy. What does that relationship look like? It looks like you and I obeying the commands of the Lord Jesus. That's the apostolic teaching about the word of life. Let's all stand for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son to become like us so that we can become like him. Thank you for restoring us to true fellowship with you through our fellowship with him. Lord, help each of us to live in that relationship by obeying his commandments. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. 
May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. to the